Law of Self-Defense content you are about to enjoy is presented for general educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice. If you are in need of legal advice, consult competent legal counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Welcome to our ongoing coverage of the Minnesota murder trial of Derek Chauvin over the in-custody death of George Floyd. I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense, providing guest commentary and analysis of this trial for legal insurrection. And now also, our coverage is supported by CCW Safe a provider of legal service memberships, what many people mistakenly refer to as self-defense insurance for folks who find themselves unwilling participants in a use-of-force event. I'm personally a member of CCW Safe, so it's great to have their support in our coverage of this trial. If you'd like to learn more about what CCW Safe has to offer, and you should, just point your browser to lawselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. And if you do decide to join CCW Safe, you can save 10% using the discount code LOSD10. Okay, folks, I'm playing a bit of catch up here on last Friday's testimony of state witnesses, Dr. Lindsay Thomas, a forensic pathologist retained as another expert witness for the state, and Dr. Andrew Baker, the Hennepin County medical examiner who conducted the autopsy of George Floyd. I know Professor Jacobson did an awesome job live blogging this testimony as it was happening on Friday, which kindly gave me the opportunity to take the day to attend to other commitments I had. So I'll treat my view of Friday's proceedings in a rather more summary fashion than is my usual practice here. In part, this summary treatment also is because of the nature of the testimony provided. In the case of both Thomas and Baker, there was a common pattern in the nature of their testimony. On direct questioning by Prosecutor Blackwell for both of them, they would both say the magic words they certainly knew the state needed them to say on the witness stand. In effect, literally, word for word, they identified the primary cause of George Floyd's death as asphyxia, complicated by law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. When asked on direct if any of the other notable factors, everyone knew the defense would raise on cross-examination the existing cardiovascular disease with 75 to 90 percent occlusion of all three major coronary arteries, the hypertension-induced enlarged heart, the presence of fentanyl and methamphetamine in Floyd's system, the adrenaline induced by Floyd's poorly made decision to fight four police officers for 10 minutes. Could any of that have been the cause of Floyd's death, the answer by these two witnesses was a flat no, period. Floyd's death could only be attributable to asphyxia complicated by law enforcement, subdual restraint, and neck compression. Good for the state, right? On cross-examination, however, both Thomas and Baker agreed that every single one of those alternative factors by themselves, even in the absence of any police involvement or any of the other factors viewed in isolation from each other, Any of those factors could be an entirely reasonable cause of death for an official death certificate for Floyd. Now, I'm going to provide a bunch of responses from Thomas and Baker. I've kind of amalgamated the responses of both of them because their responses were so similar. I have embedded the video of their individual cross-examination testimony uh, for those of you who want a more granular sense of what each of them said. But to get back to the amalgamated replies, in other words, for example, Nelson asked, had Floyd been found dead at home, an autopsy revealed the 75% to 90% occlusion of his three major coronary arteries, would it have been reasonable for a medical examiner to attribute cause of death to that heart condition? Yes. 
He asked them, you signed thousands of death certificates listing cause of death as arteriosclerotic disease in patients with similar levels of coronary artery occlusion as Floyd? Yes. You signed death certificates listing cause of death as hypertensive cardiomegalopathy in patients who have a similar degree of enlarged heart as Floyd? Yes. Did you tell investigators when interviewed that cardiovascular disease was a significant contributor to Floyd's death? Yes. If Floyd had been found dead at home and toxicology had revealed 11 nanograms per milliliter levels of fentanyl in the system, would it have been reasonable for a medical examiner to attribute cause of death to fentanyl overdose? Yes. Have you signed death certificates as overdose deaths in cases where fentanyl levels were 11 nanograms per milliliter, as with Floyd? Yes. Below 11 nanograms per milliliter? Yes. As as low as 3 nanograms per milliliter? Yes. Would the presence of a combination of drugs like fentanyl and methamphetamine, as with Floyd, make overdose a more likely cause of death? Yes. Could asphyxia of the heart be induced by methamphetamine creating a higher demand for oxygen by the heart than Floyd's body could deliver? Yes. However low the level of methamphetamine in Floyd's system, is there any level that's safe? No. Would you recommend methamphetamine or even prescription amphetamine for a patient with Floyd's cardiac status? No. Would the demand for oxygen of Floyd's heart and the inability of his body to deliver on that demand be worsened by adrenaline resulting from Floyd's physical confrontation with the officers? Yes. So even if we don't consider Floyd's exertion in fighting police and we take the police out of the question entirely, if we pretend there's no impact made by the illicit drugs in Floyd's system, a reasonable call on cause of death was simply Floyd's existing cardiovascular disease and hypertension? Yes. What percentage of restriction of the coronary arteries would be potentially fatal? 70 to 90%. What was the restriction of the coronary arteries in Floyd's heart? 75 to 90%. Does a 90% stenosis of a carotid artery limit blood to the heart? Yes. Does adrenaline increase the heart's demand for blood? Yes. Does meth increase demand for blood? Yes. In the context of death being purportedly afflicted by subdual restraint and neck compression, Nelson also hammered on the absence of any objective evidence of actual force sufficient to achieve such a result. For example, was there any bruising to the back of Floyd's neck or back? No, either on the surface or even deeper in tissues on autopsy. No. Would a knee and shin applied with substantial force be expected to cause a bruise? Yes, that would be expected. But, Dr. Baker said, absence of bruising doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean the pressure didn't happen. And that's true, of course. But folks, I would suggest that the prosecution does not get to guilt beyond a reasonable doubt based on explaining away an absence of evidence to support their narrative. Then for both Thomas and Baker, on redirect questioning by Prosecutor Blackwell, they would both once again parrot the magic words desired by the state that Floyd's death could only be attributable to asphyxia complicated by law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. Not the heart disease, he asked? No. Not the hypertension? No. Not the fentanyl? Not the meth? Not the fighting the police? No. Folks, this generalized and really simple-minded denial of the uncertainty and doubt raised in detail by the defense on cross, once again may provide fodder 
for conviction-favorable headlines in the media, but it doesn't push the needle closer to the certainty beyond a reasonable doubt needed in court. And that is, of course, precisely the state's burden, certainty beyond a reasonable doubt. Any ambiguity or uncertainty in the case necessarily accrues to the benefit of the defense, and the lengthy cross-examination of both Thomas and Baker revealed plenty of ambiguity and uncertainty. It's also worth noting that the state calling for the testimony of Thomas, Dr. Thomas, immediately before that of Dr. Baker, borders on the inane. The entirety of Dr. Thomas's testimony was based on Dr. Baker's autopsy report. And Dr. Baker was coming in right after her to testify himself about his own autopsy report. What, With Baker appearing to testify himself about his autopsy and conclusions, what purpose could possibly be served by having first Thomas provide her own interpretation of Baker's work? What would she know that he didn't know? What could she testify about on these issues that Baker himself, the only one of the two of them who actually did an actual autopsy of Floyd, that Baker himself could not testify about his own work? Absolutely nothing. And even worse than simply being a less well-informed and duplicative witness immediately preceding Baker, Thomas also had some serious missteps of her own. For example, at one point, Nelson raised a Canadian study that looked at 3,000 instances of Canuck police putting suspects in prone position without even a single one of those suspects dying of this purported positional asphyxia. Thomas's response was not to impeach the quality or methodology of this study, but simply to express bewilderment. She was baffled completely. She had simply no idea why the Canadian study should be so different, given that in her experience, virtually every forensic pathologist in the United States had experience with positional asphyxia. Frankly, I thought Nelson could have been much more aggressive on cross of Thomas on this particular point, in particular because her bafflement her purported bafflement, reflected a profound failure to understand the essential issues at play here. For example, even if it were true that every forensic pathologist in America had experience with positional asphyxia, a claim I would strongly question, but even if true, the forensic pathologist by definition only ever sees dead people. They would have no knowledge of the number of suspects placed prone who did not, as a result, require an autopsy. Therefore, they could have no informed opinion on the relative risk of prone restraint. If you only see the bad outcomes, you have no idea how many good outcomes there were. Further, there were obvious points to hammer home on here. Was Dr. Thomas suggesting that human physiology worked differently for Canadian criminals than it did for American criminals in such a way that the Canadian suspects were apparently immune to the ill effects from a restraint technique that presented, purportedly, an imminent threat of immediate death to American suspects? Now, of course, perhaps Nelson does intend to make these points with vigor, but with his own experts on direct questioning rather than on cross of the state's witnesses. By the way, Prosecutor Blackwell's response to this Canadian study issue on redirect questioning of Thomas was to ask her, did Floyd die while a Canadian suspect and of course, her answer is no, as if any of that matters. On cross-examination, Baker was also specifically asked by Nelson if the prone position was inherently dangerous. Dr. Baker's answer was that, according to his understanding of the medical literature, it was not. 
Did it appear to Dr. Baker? Nelson asked. Based on autopsy, review of all the videos, and every other piece of evidence made available to him that Chauvin's knee ever occluded Floyd's carotid artery? It did not, said Dr. Baker. But even if it had, noted Baker, it would have done so to only the carotid artery on that side of the body, and the non-occluded artery on the other side would have continued to carry blood to the brain. So much for the testimony of the state's MMA expert, bystander witness Williams, who had testified under oath that a blood choke could be effectively applied by the knee to merely one side of the neck. Nelson asked, would the placement of Chauvin's knee have been able to anatomically cut off Floyd's airway? It would not, answered Baker, again, completely contradicting the expert witness testimony of the pulmonologist the state had earlier brought into the case last week. So if it wasn't blood choke and it wasn't respiratory choke, exactly how did Chauvin's knee kill Floyd? Baker also testified that a factor in his consideration of cause of death was that Floyd had been given CPR and survived until he reached the hospital, only dying there. This testimony, again, directly contradicts that of earlier state expert witnesses who testified that they could identify the precise moment of Floyd's death as he lay prone on the street based on police body camera, surveillance, and bystander videos. Well, which was it? Is it obvious that Floyd died on the street, or is it obvious, as according to Dr. Baker, that Floyd made it to the hospital and only died there? My takeaway from watching the entirety of the testimony of Thomas and Baker was that, like other earlier state expert witnesses, they'd said the magic words the state had called them to say, but then their credibility and purported certainty was profoundly gutted by the defense on cross-examination. This is particularly so given that it is the state that needs to prove a cause of death attributable to the defendant and to do so beyond a reasonable doubt. The defense does not need to prove some alternative cause of death. The defense need merely raise a reasonable doubt that some cause of death not attributable to the defendant may have been what killed Floyd. Okay, folks, that's all I have for tonight. I'll be back on the case every morning this week, live blogging right here at Legal Insurrection, and of course, with our end-of-day wrap-up commentary and analysis in the evening. Uh, Finally, again, anyone interested in a free podcast version of our daily legal commentary and analysis of the Chauvin trial can access the Law Self-Defense News and Q&A podcast, available on most every podcast platform, including Pandora, iHeart, Spotify, Apple, Google, You can even just get a simple RSS feed for your favorite podcast player. Get all the links to all of those sources for our podcast at lawofselfdefense.com slash free podcast. And once again, many thanks to Legal Insurrection and CCW Safe for supporting our coverage of this case. All right, folks, until next time, I am attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.